0: Hey there! Welcome to The Lounge. I'm your host, Keith Farley, inviting you to grab a nog and settle in with us for the next hour or so. While you're noggin, we'll give you food for your noggin with stories, songs, and conversations, all intuitively designed to help you groove with the rhythms of the season. This month's lounge is simply a celebration of the holidays because, let's face it, you've earned it. Anne Klaus Farley will be along in a minute, to share with us her story of what it was like to endure her family's spiritual holidays. Ray Chase and Julia McElvain are back to perform in My Holiday Ode to Slackers called Happy Nola Days. John Ballinger and Double Batch Daddy are here to kick out the holiday jams, and later on I'll share the truly bizarre and utterly true origin story of Santa Claus. So, here we are, facing the impending darkness of winter with a song in our heart, a tree near the hearth, and a candle in the window. Sunrise slept in till 6.48 this morning, and it retires early at 4.44 this afternoon. And for some of us, it's tempting to follow the sun's lead into hibernation this time of year. But no. There's too much to do. We've got to decorate the house, attend an endless stream of parties, bake cookies, buy gifts, make travel arrangements, take our finals, find a tree, decorate the tree, fight for a seat at the kids' holiday concert, worry about whether we're going to get called out for wishing people happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas, decide if we're going to bring up that topic at the holiday dinner this year, all the while meeting all of the deadlines of work that inevitably fall on December 23rd. And through all of this, we're feeling that pull towards darkness as the days get shorter and shorter. So we reach for cookies and candy and second helpings and that extra cup of cheer that may come back to haunt us in the morning. In my days as director of worship and arts at Emmanuel Presbyterian Church, I was responsible for creating and directing the Christmas experience for our congregation. I was hired. In November, so I only had a couple of weeks to get my legs under me before the Advent and Christmas season launched. It was a mad scramble to coordinate readers and choirs and Sunday school kids. I researched holiday traditions from all over the world and recruited church members to help fold tinfoil lotus candle holders during the coffee hour and to come out early on Christmas Eve to fill paper bags with candles and sand to line the street that led to the church entrance. I recruited actors from my theater company to perform. I focused the lights in the sanctuary so that I could highlight the readers and choirs as we went along. I wrote the Christmas message and put the whole evening together in the form of a script. It was hectic. It was all-consuming. And on Christmas morning, it was all over. I had such a sense of peace that morning. I had already planned the next Sunday's service, so I had two weeks off with nothing to do but sleep late play video games on my new PlayStation console, and cuddle with my wife. It was one of the best Christmases of my life. Since then, I've learned to lean into the madness that leads up to the 25th of December because it allows me to enjoy the sudden peace and quiet of the last week of the year. The week when light starts to come back into the world. But for now, there's still a lot to do. We've got to deck the halls, don our gay apparel, and sing a Yuletide carol as the old year swiftly passes away. Hit it, boys!
1: Ba Deck the halls be boughs of holly ba 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 ba, ba, ba. don't we now want the take a ba ba ba
0: Bye, bye, bye. Ray Chase and Julia McIlvain are dear friends and colleagues. And in 2020, they were spending their first Christmas together as a married couple. I reached out to them to see if they'd be interested in playing the roles of the sweet slacker couple I lazily named He and She. It was the first radio show I produced for Live from the Lounge... And I love Ray and Julia's performances so much that I want to share it with you again. Happy NOLA days.
2: Ooh, popping corn. Thank you.
3: So what are we watching?
2: Charlie Brown Christmas. Cool. I love the dance sequence.
3: Yep. Who's your favorite? Favorite.
2: It's a cool dancer. Who's yours? Schroeder. Shut up. What? Schroeder doesn't dance. You don't
3: know that. True. I bet he's a great dancer. Show me how Schroeder would dance. Uh, okay, like this. <laughs> oh, bu- 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 you are
2: so weird. What? Schroeder wouldn't raise the roof. Why not? Because it's 1964. Nobody raised the roof for like 35 no, no, years. No, 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 no.
3: Schroeder's ahead of his time. You
2: are so weird. Come on.
3: Okay, look, an eight-year-old kid who plays piano like that would totally be ahead of his time, Like, uh, like Bowie.
2: Oh, God, whatever.
3: (sighs) Whatever. So, what'd you get me for Christmas? I'm
2: not telling. Why not? It's a surprise. i tell you. Okay. What did you get me?
3: I didn't get you anything yet. What? Which doesn't mean that I won't. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. So, your turn. What? Your turn to tell. No. I told you. So? Quid pro quo, baby.
2: No. No what? No both.
3: No quit prop Yeah, yes. <laughs> and no, you didn't get me a present.
2: Um, not exactly, no.
3: Dog mm. Doggone holidays. Yeah. The whole okay. marketing machine tells you that the only way to show you love someone is to spend money on them. The more you spend, the more you love.
2: And if you don't have mm. money, then you can't have love?
3: Well, that's just plain wrong. Mm. What if we start our own holiday movement? A what? An anti-holiday.
2: With no presents? No debt. No shopping frenzy?
3: All the love, with none of the hassle.
2: Totally.
3: We could run a commercial on TV during the Charlie Brown show. (gasps) Check this out. Fade in on Santa's Village, only it's not the cute little town we're used to seeing. No, it's like a huge Ikea-sized factory. We fly in through the front loading bay. We're at the nexus of the Santa operation. There's all these elves as far as the eye can see. And they're busting their humps to try to make the Christmas deadline.
2: And they're miserable.
3: Yeah. Some of them are even trying to figure out how to put a PS5 together.
2: Oh, oh, you got to have a couple of them, like, trying to tie a big bow on top of a Lexus.
3: <laughs> right, that's But they so can't funny. figure out how to
2: tie a bow that's as big as they are. <laughs> perfect.
3: Anyway, it's basically a big old sweatshop. Right. And it's horrible. Everyone's you know, scrambling to make the deadline.
2: Uh, uh, I get it. Where's Santa?
3: Where's Santa? He's smoking a pipe and slugging down one last hot chocolate for the road in his executive suite. Ew. He's the big boss. The beneficiary of the labor of the elfin Hordes. Wow. So we track him through the factory and slinging all these bogus Christmas phrases at the elves. It's better better to to give
2: give than than to to receive. Right.
3: And he's all ho, ho, ho and stuff. And then he gets into the sleigh. And he flies off into the night. Got a couple of cool shots of the sleigh going across the moon. And he lands the thing on someone's roof. He's all, ho, ho, ho. And he pops down the chimney and sees us. We're waiting for him. We're not happy.
2: Well, we're not mad, though.
3: No, but we're not happy either. We are assured of ourselves.
2: Because I, I don't think that being mad at Santa's going to get us anything.
3: Anyway. Uh, I gotcha. Anyway, Santa sees us and goes, ho, ho, ho. And we go, no, no, no.
2: Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I love it. No, no, no. But not mad, though. No,
3: no, no. Just firm and resolute. No, no, no. And we point him back up the chimney and send him on his way.
2: This is so cool. We tell materialism to go away. Right. And it could be a
3: series of ads with all these different people all telling Santa, no, no, no.
2: Oh, you could show, like, people in stores shopping like mad, and then a person could walk up to them and say, no, 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 really gently. Or
3: just a bunch of credit card swiping until they finally come up declined. Then no, no, no.
2: Right. Oh, people stranded at airports, families fighting over Christmas dinner, all that stuff. And there's more. No, no, no. No, no, no. And at the end
3: of every ad, the screen would fade to black and a card that says, happy holidays would pop up, but then the H in holidays would get all X'd out and be replaced by an N. So it says, Happy Nola Days.
2: Happy Nola Days. Wow. (laughs) I love it. Happy Nola Days, sweetie.
3: Happy Nola Days, love. Mm.
2: We need an icon.
3: No, no, no. Why not? No, no, no. I was just saying the slogan again. Yes! Yes! We need an icon.
2: A days icon. Like Santa. Right.
3: anti Claus.
2: How about Madonna? What? Madonna! She'd be perfect! How do you figure that? Well, her name, first of all. Madonna. Yeah, like the Virgin Mary, Madonna. I mean, you got the Christmas thing right there. It- Yeah, plus she's all into the Kabbalah now, so you get the Jews, too. Oh,
3: you're funny. I
2: know, right? Okay, so she may not have actual religious significance, but she's still a big name. True. Oh, and she's got that song, Holiday.
3: Wouldn't she change it to Noliday? Well, she'd have to.
2: Noliday, celebrate. Uh, Hmm. Oh, it could be so nice if I took holiday. You can see it.
3: <laughs> yeah, I guess.
2: Wait. Uh, you know what the problem with Madonna is? Careful.
3: As a holiday icon only. Okay. Okay. If Madonna was a spokesperson for the holidays, you couldn't have a tradition because every year she'd want to change the holiday into something else.
2: Ooh, ooh, you're right. <gasps> oh I got it.
3: Go ahead? No, no, no. no. This one's perfect. Tommy? No.
2: You have to get all of the other candidates out of your system.
3: Oh, uh, okay, okay, okay. James Earl Jones, Ed Asner, Chris mm. Rock, Eminem. Ooh. Think about it. John Stewart.
2: William Shatner.
3: Oh, my God. William Shatner. Consistent. Hungry for work.
2: Funny and serious at the same time. Great hair. Same hair. William Shatner. William Shatner. You're a genius. Thank you. <laughs> what about the tree? What? Can we keep the tree? Mm,
3: good question.
2: I love the tree. Yeah. She's so pretty. And she smells so nice. Yeah.
3: How do you feel about a fern? What? A noliday fern. You could still decorate it, and it would live on from season to season.
2: The ferns are so hard to keep alive. That's
3: part of it. You spend all your nolidae energy trying to keep the fern alive. The fern becomes the focus.
2: But what if it dies? No nolidaes? You're a holiday no failure. You're right. I say we keep the tree. Take back the tree.
3: Okay. But no decorations, just the smell.
2: And some pretty lights.
3: Lights too, huh?
2: Yeah. They're too pretty to lose. They are pretty. Turn off the TV. And the lamp. <sighs> See?
3: Well, that is a pretty tree.
2: You don't really want to give this up, do you? Not really. (laughs) I know what the holidays are for, even if the world has forgotten. You do. I don't need to start a movement. Who needs a hassle? Right. The real holidays are about new beginnings. True. The real holidays are about hope. Hoping the sun will come back. Because
3: it sure is cold now.
2: They're about love with a big L.
3: And peace with a big P.
2: And family, to
3: family. Um, here.
2: What's this? Nothing.
3: Well, this maybe I had a little black box in the bowl of popping corn.
2: Wait. What for?
3: Will you be my family?
2: Then. No, you said.
3: I said I didn't get you a Christmas present. This, this is a family present. It's for this Christmas and forever.
2: It's so beautiful. Wow.
3: Will you be my family?
2: Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I'm glad you did this. Me too. No, I'm gladder. Why? I'm going to have a baby. (laughs) I,
3: I really didn't think you could top the ring.
2: What can I say?
3: Have you thought about names?
2: Well, if it's a girl, Madonna. Mm -hmm. If it's a boy...
0: William Shatner. Yeah. Keith here. Hope you're enjoying our lounge this month. We're on a mission to get you where you want to go with humor and heart. It's the same great stories, songs, and conversations as always, with an emphasis on finding ways to help you achieve your goals by grooving with the rhythms of the season. If you get something valuable out of this podcast, we hope you'll take a moment to share a little something with us. Head to livefromtheloungepodcast.com, click the donate button, and help us keep this podcast coming to you season after season. Thanks for listening, and thanks in advance for your generosity. Hey, welcome back. I am here with a longtime listener, longtime producer, first time writer on the podcast, Anne Claus Farley. Hello, honey. Hi, Ann.
4: Happy holidays.
0: Happy holidays to you. I'm really thrilled about your piece, but there's something we need to do to, to set it up, which is to let people know that you come from a very, very large family. Uh, how many brothers and sisters do you have?
4: Well, there's Rob, Jeff Rick, Kelly, Julie, Andy, Mary, Teresa, Anne, Jane, Delia, Joe, Michelle.
0: Just to prove that you are a member of a large family, I thought I'd just give you like a Rorschach test. I'm going to throw each one of your siblings' names at you and just give me one or two or three words to describe them. Are you ready? Okay. Here we go. The oldest, Rob.
4: He's comfort, sweet, and a good man.
0: And the next one is Jeff.
4: Clever, mischievous, and um, hardworking.
0: And Rick?
4: Rick is a charmer, you know, movie star looks, and um, just a laugher.
0: And the oldest sister, Kelly?
4: She's smart, uh, MacGyver, and um, happy. Very, very boisterous humor.
0: And following Kelly is Julie?
4: Sweet and generous.
0: And then Andy? Andy?
4: Andy is mischievous, fun, and um, and talented. And Mary. Uh, Mary is also very smart, clever, and very generous.
0: And just above you is your sister Teresa. Sweet, sweet, sweet. Then you. And there's me. And then after you is Jean. your is Jean, who yeah. came quickly after you.
4: Yeah, she's creative, smart, and loving.
0: Following Jean is Delia.
4: Delia is clever, mischievous as well, and uh, she's very uh,
0: punk rock. And Joe?
4: Um, Joe is, I haven't seen Joe in a long time, so I really don't know, and that makes me sad.
0: And then your youngest sister of all, Shell. Shell.
4: My sibling, Shell, is uh, also just a multi-hyphenate, can do almost anything, so generous and sweet, and of course, adorable baby.
0: And what was the experience like for you going back and uh, to this Christmas memory of yours and actually writing and performing this piece? How was that?
4: I got emotional all week about it because Christmas in my house, the way my parents... Could always provide a holiday for us was magical. Having that many mouths to feed and we always have an overabundance of, of gifts or food. And I have to say that I adore holidays and I think my the biggest gift I got from my parents was to enjoy the marking of the year through the holidays. And, um, and this particular Christmas, I, I believed in miracles.
0: Well, I am thrilled to share this piece uh, with our audience, and congratulations. I'm very, very proud of you. Oh,
4: thanks. A Spiritual Christmas The most memorable holiday season in my house was Christmas 1977. Bing Crosby and David Bowie were singing The Little Drummer Boy on repeat from a pirated cassette tape my older brother had made. He had copied this song seven times in a row so that we might memorize every word. We sang and decorated the house in all our homemade fashions. I had already strung up at least 20 feet of a multicolored paper chain for the doorway arches, and my sister and I were beginning the tedious process of stringing pieces of red and green-dyed popcorn to use as garland. The Christmas tree had not arrived in the living room from the attic yet. I was desperate for my father to retrieve it so that we could hang all the groovy ornaments we had made for it. Painted dough ornaments, paper mache icicles and a toilet paper roll angel for the top. I waited it on as patiently as a six-year-old could for my dad to come home from work. When my bedtime came and went, I was forcibly marched to bed after much fuss. Dad was late again. Now I woke up a few hours later to the sound of my parents arguing. I crept out of my bed, snuck down the hallway, and hid behind the very worn-out couch where my father sat, trying to reassure my mother through slurred speech that everything was gonna be okay. He had not passed some health test and was let go from his job that afternoon. My mother began to cry in panic about what we were gonna do for Christmas with all these mouths to feed. My father stammered out solutions. Uh, He would get a repairman job, go to our church, or there was always those two ugly words, food stamps. My mother was a very proud woman, and she always refused any kind of help, especially from the ladies' auxiliary at church. She slumped into the sofa and wailed, There goes the holiday! And I guess this year will have to be a spiritual Christmas. I choked back tears as I crawled back into my bed. I knew what spiritual Christmas meant. It meant Santa would not be dumping any toys down my chimney this year. I pulled the covers over my head and I pleaded in prayer to baby Jesus and Santa for a miracle. The next morning at breakfast, Mom made the announcement that we would indeed be having a spiritual Christmas. And before we left the table, we were to pluck a family member's name out of a Santa hat. The rule to this game was that you had to do nice things for the person whose name you drew, but you have to do it in secret. The only stipulation being that we could not spend any of our money on our offerings. We would have to be creative, clever, and covert with our gifts. The main spiritual impact of this assignment was that on Christmas Eve, we would present something special from our own possessions and re-gift it. This was always really hard to do, since we shared most everything anyways. Of course I would go along with this charade. But I knew deep down in my heart that this spiritual game was not the same thing as having Santa bring you the gift of your dreams for being good. I would not get the play school good humor ice cream truck that I had seen in this year's Christmas catalog. This was what I wanted most of all, and I would have to wait a whole other year for it. Maybe forever. I digested both the burnt toast and the bad news and headed for school. I half-heartedly completed my paint by number snowman in art class and sat out during choir practice because I was too sad to sing Deck the Halls. The three o'clock bell could not come soon enough. The school bus dropped us off at the corner and we all raced to the front gate of our house. One of my siblings screamed, tree, and we tore down the driveway and through the open door and into a cloud of artificial pine spray. The mood in the house had lifted from gloom to merriment. Dad was home, and he was assembling the Christmas tree. We helped him change faulty light bulbs, and we filled the tree with our homemade crafts, just like Snoopy decorating his house in the Charlie Brown Christmas. Dad passed out peppermints and gathered us around the mantle where there was a developing fire. Dad reminded us to think about our secret Santa mission, and that tonight we might already be seeing signs of goodies and good deeds. I was extremely happy that I drew my slightly older sister's name. She was super sweet. I knew that no matter what I gave her, she would end up sharing it with me. It was a win-win situation. Over the next few weeks, I got pretty good at being a secret Santa. I made my sister's bed while she was not in the room, and I kept the peppermints my dad gave me, and I snuck a few in her lunch. I placed I Love You drawings under the pillow before bed, and sometimes I even... Let her take a bath first or pick a board game that we played. I had been agonizing for weeks over what thing I owned that I would part with for my final gift. I didn't have anything fancy. All I owned were hand-me-downs and worn-out books. There was only one thing I really treasured. It was a Wonder Woman pencil box that I had won at the school Halloween carnival. It was a gold box with Wonder Woman's slogan on the front, Change Their Minds and Change the World. It was still in good shape, except for a few crayon markings and pencil shavings loitering in the inside corners. I could clean it, make it sparkle once again. I borrowed some of my sister's gold fingernail polish to cover any scratches, and when I was finished, it looked new again. To fill it, I sharpened some of my old number two pencils and threw in some unused crayons. And to top it off, I grabbed some tinfoil from the kitchen to wrap my gift. I had some pieces of foil left over so I made a beautiful silver poinsettia and I placed it on the top. I wrote my sister's name on the tin with my fingernail and carefully hid it under my bed. In the meantime, I was finding surprises all over the house too. One day I went to put my boots on and I found a can of Orange Fanta sitting in the left one. I had never had a whole can of soda to myself before. I opened my dresser drawer to grab my pajamas one night and found a newly designed Barbie line under my shirts. She had blue-markered hair, a safety pin through her flame-drawn dress, and she was scary amazing. I ran home excited every day to find a piece of bubble gum, a pair of barrettes, jacks, and even a glow-in-the-dark paddle ball with my name burned into it. Soon Christmas Eve arrived with a flurry of activity evening mass, potluck, and carols, and of course, a small pre-birthday cake for my older sister, who was actually born on Christmas Day. This year, she received an IOU in the form of a handmade card that read, Straw Hat Pizza plus Ice Cream. And we sang her happy birthday as Dad passed around cupcakes with Christmas sprinkles. Mom then guided us into the living room to exchange our final gifts. It was tradition in our house to give one gift to each other on Christmas Eve. We stared excitedly at the different sized packages under the tree, trying to guess which one was for whom. I saw the tinfoiled treasure I placed under the tree yesterday and glanced at my sister to see if she imagined it was hers. Eh, She was too busy sizing out all the loot for herself. Mom asked us to respectfully place our gift in front of our secret Santas. We talked about the month's journey of hidden surprises and politely said thank you and ferociously opened all the presents at the same time. My older brother gave me a clean towel with my name stitched in a patch at the corner. In a big family, this was everything. I now have my very own that no one could use. I ran to hug him and he scooped me up in a tickle hold and covered me with kisses. I raced back to my spot next to my darling older sister to see if she had opened her gift. She had, and was looking over the repurposed pencil box, smiling. She complimented my wrapping, and I noticed she had already placed the foil poinsettia in her hair. She said she knew how much the box meant to me and told me that she would be honored to share it. Just as I planned. Soon I was in bed sucking on a peppermint and feeling very happy. The next morning, I woke up to my sister jumping up and down on the bed, screaming, Get up! Santa came! Well, confused, I quickly grabbed my slippers and bolted down the hallway. I turned the corner to the living room, and I could not believe what I saw. The living room was filled with presents! My sister was already pushing a doll on a stroller. One of my brothers was tossing a football in the air. And my mom sat on a new couch, burping the new baby, looking tired but happy. I ran to the tree and saw a wrapped box with my name on the side. I ripped it open and saw that it was indeed the play-school good humor ice cream truck that I had prayed for. My older brother swooped me up in his arms, laughing at the expression on my face and asked if I needed help putting it together. He opened the box and handed me the uniform. As I put it on, he put the finishing pieces together. And with a ring of my truck bell, I was open for business. Get your free ice cream right here. Three fabulous flavors, I yelled. My hula hooping sister waved her hand for me to come over. As I approached, she whispered with a wide grin, see, I told you Santa would come. Best Christmas ever. I turned my cart towards the kitchen where my father was laughing so hard he had tears in his eyes. He was giving one of his big bear hugs to a man from our church. The man glanced at me over my father's shoulder with a twinkle in his eye. Looking back now, I suspect he was our family's secret Santa.
5: Home for the holidays I believe I missed each and every phase Come on and play one easy Let's turn on every love light in the place. It's time I found myself totally surrounded in your circles. Oh, my friends. Please celebrate me home. Give me a number, please. Remember that I can recall whenever I find myself too all alone. I can sing me home on easy highway, traveling where the westerly winds can fly. Somebody tried to tell me. But the man forgot to tell me why I gotta count me.
0: I'm feeling a little mischievous this holiday season, so I hope you'll indulge me as I share with you one of my favorite stories about St. Nicholas. It's a bit of a horror story, sort of a St. Nick meets Sweeney Todd, if you will, but it's absolutely 100% true. Which doesn't mean it's a true story. I don't mean to imply that I believe for one second that these events actually occurred— But it is a true story that was once widely told about St. Nick, and I've got the receipts to prove it. Here we go. Once upon a time, there was a famine in the land. Three young boys were working in the field, but as the fields were fallow, there was little for them to do. One of them, named Timothy, said, I'm bored. What do you say we head into town and have some fun? His friends, Mark and John, agreed, and off they went. In town, they came upon a tavern run by an innkeeper whose mind was deranged by want. The evil innkeeper lured them in, killed them, butchered their bodies, and placed them in a salt bucket to preserve their flesh so that he might serve it to hungry travelers and thereby increase his station. A little later... St. Nicholas was traveling through this land, and he stopped at the tavern to warm himself and have a bite to eat. It was there that he met the parents of the slaughtered children, who invited him to join them for a meal. They shared with St. Nick the sad story of their son's disappearance, and inquired if he had gleaned any information from his travels that might help them be reunited with their children. Just then... The innkeeper arrived with a bowl of salted meat for the table. As the parents were about to partake of the flesh of their children, St. Nicholas called out, Stop! Do not eat! Innkeeper, take me to where you keep this meat! The innkeeper was overwhelmed by the holy power of St. Nicholas and took him at once to the kitchen where he kept the salt bucket that contained the children's remains. Nicholas knew at once what he was looking at, and he performed a miracle right on the spot. He commanded the children's bodies to rise up out of the salt bucket, be knit back together, and to march home with their parents to live happily ever after. True story. And it's not a strange outlier of a story either. According to the St. Nicholas Center website, the image of St. Nick with a tub full of children at his feet is, quote, the most widespread image of the saint in Western Europe. In fact, it is this story more than any other that is the reason for St. Nicholas being named the patron saint of children. Over time, as you well know, St. Nicholas became the character we know today as Santa Claus. I discovered this story 25 years ago when I was working as the Director of Worship and Arts at Emanuel Presbyterian Church here in Los Angeles. I never used it in a service, but I've always kept it in my back pocket, and I bring it out when the mood is right. Until recently, I had no idea this story played such a major role in the myth of the character we know familiarly as Saint Nick. I also discovered that in the mid-20th century, the composer Benjamin Britten wrote a cantata about St. Nicholas that features this story in its seventh movement, which is aptly titled Nicholas and the Pickled Boys. Let's give it a spin, shall we? At the beginning of the movement, we hear the song of hungry travelers moving through a land ravaged by famine. They sing... Famine tracks us down the lanes. Hunger holds our horses' reins. Winter heaps the roads with snow. Oh, we have far to go. Starving beggars howl their cry. Snarl to see us spurring by. Times are bad and travel slow. Oh, we have far to go. Then we hear, the mothers of Timothy, Mark, and John, as they sing, We mourn our boys, our missing ones, we sorrow for three little ones. Timothy, Mark, and John are gone, are gone. Now the travelers arrive at the inn and order the keeper to bring them food. Landlord, take this piece of gold. Bring us food before the cold makes our pangs of hunger grow. Oh, we have far to go. Once again, we hear the cries of the mothers of Timothy, Mark, and John as they lament, Day by day we seek to find some trace of them, but, oh, unkind, Timothy, Mark, and John are gone, are gone. Soon, food is presented, and the travelers invite St. Nicholas to join them. Let us share this dish of meat. Come, my friends, sit down and eat. Join us, Bishop, for we know that you have far to go. he does so, the moms offer a sad prayer over the meal. Mary Meek and Mother Mild, who lost thy Jesus as a child, our Timothy, Mark, and John are gone. Nicholas is touched by the prayer and notices something is amiss. The travelers sing to him, Come, your grace, don't eat so slow, take some meat. But suddenly it dawns on him, and Nicholas shouts out, Oh, do not taste, oh, do not feed on sin, but haste to save three souls in need. Thy mother's cry is sad and weak. Within these walls they lie, whom mothers sadly seek. And then he calls out to the pickled boys Timothy, Mark, and John, put your fleshly garments on. Come from dark oblivion, come.
6: Mouth savvy seek Dimmer thee Mark And John Put your fleshly Garments on Come from dark Oblivion Come, come Come, come, come.
0: Now we hear the astonished travelers as they witness Timothy, Mark, and John reunited with their mothers. The travelers sing, See, three boys spring back to life who, slaughtered by the butcher's knife, lay salted down, and entering hand in hand, they stand and sing Alleluia to their king. The movement finishes with the sound of the young boys singing their allelujahs before the chorus of travelers join them. I'm a huge fan of this holiday story because at first it feels like it's too dark to belong to the holidays. But if we take a moment to think about the holiday stories we tell every year, we realize that they all take place in a world overrun with injustices and abominations. In each one, we might hear Nicholas's call to come from dark oblivion. Come. Hanukkah is a celebration of overcoming oppression and religious persecution. Kwanzaa is a response to the systemic marginalization and subjugation of our black brothers and sisters. And the Christmas story features a bloodthirsty tyrant who literally orders the murder of babies to prevent a new, quote, king of the Jews from being born. Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol is a story filled with ghosts who bring us face-to-face with our past traumas and our future demise. Each of these stories, along with the nearly forgotten story of St. Nicholas and the Pickled Boys, is about conquering horror, oppression, and injustice. But that can never happen if we're not willing to see clearly the oppression and injustice that exists in our world. The message of the winter holidays is that we can only come from dark oblivion if we're willing to recognize and identify the darkness that surrounds us and take the responsibility to shine a light and move forward. And that's our lounge. I'll return you to your regularly scheduled holidays in a second, but I did want to make one more pitch before I do. Live from the Lounge is a collaboration of some of my favorite creative people in Los Angeles. Each one is a dear friend and a respected colleague who have all been extremely generous with their time and talents. If you've enjoyed their contributions as much as I have, I hope you'll take a second to head to livefromtheloungepodcast.com. That's livefromtheloungepodcast.com. Hit the donate button and share a little holiday cheer with the folks who work to make this podcast available each month. We've got a lot in store for you this season, and it's your contributions that make this show possible. Thanks in advance for your generosity. Now here's the who did what. Live from the Lounge is produced by Kloss No. 9 and Kloss Farley. John Ballinger arranged and performed Deck the Halls and Celebrate Me Home with Double Batch Daddy. Ray Chase and Julia McIlvain performed Happy Nola Days, which is available for purchase and performance from playscripts.com. And I'm your host, Keith Farley, wishing you peace and prosperity this holiday season and always. We'll be back in a month or so with another collection of stories, songs, and conversations, all intuitively designed to help you to learn, to love, to lounge.